You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. Formerly Bulletproof Radio. A state of high performance. Today's guest, Terry Cochran. She is a integrative practitioner and she has a methodology called the Cochran Method, which looks at biochemistry, nutrition, genetic tendencies, herbs, and counseling to figure out custom things that work when other people don't. And she's written a book called The Wildatarian Diet, Living as Nature Intended. So we're going to talk today about how what you eat turns your genes on or off. We're talking about epigenetics and nutrigenomics and how things that you might have heard me refer to earlier, wild-caught, wild-fed proteins lead to better health starting at your molecules, starting at your cells and moving on up. We're also going to go deep on some of the cool biochemical reactions you don't know about in your body. Terry, welcome to the show. Oh, Dave, it's so great to be with you and your audience. Uh, what happens? Like, what, what made you learn about this? Uh, well, the trajectory to a great discovery sometimes starts with a limiting belief system when someone tells you that your child will never be normal, will no, not grow past five foot four, and will live with brain seizures most of his life. And when you hear that kind of information flood into your ears and then into your nervous system, it's quite a shock, of course. I made the determination that he would not be one of those statistics, that I would be that mother that was going to try to figure it out. Maria Ibrahim. Maria, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dave. It's so great to be here. Why did we need a book about eating clean? You know, when it's it's kind of one of those things that's defined so differently by different people. And, you know, for me, the bottom line is we're eating as nature intended. We're eating as close to the, to the source of food and avoiding food that's highly processed and adulterated. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean ruling out whole food groups per se. I think some people's explanations might be that drastic. But for me, it's really more about eating food in an identifiable form, you know, lots of fresh produce. Uh, proteins that are raised the way they should be, eating the foods that nature has created for them, and avoiding foods that come highly processed in a, from a plant. It doesn't mean that you can't have packaged foods, because I think that packaged foods have a place, and I think that um, foods that are in a form that allow us to, to eat on the go and snack, et cetera, and, and have the variety that we love are completely viable. It's just, can you identify the ingredients that are in that package? And I think that really, to me, is the, the, the nascence of what eating clean means. So what, how's your son, like, what, what happened? Well, the boy that couldn't, uh, they said he would not be normal, and he, they were right. He became superhuman. <laughs> I heard there's a really good book out there. <laughs> So what, how's your son, like what, what happened? Well, the boy that couldn't, uh, they said he would not be normal and he, they were right. He became superhuman. <laughs> what we found was when we uncovered his underlying root causes, he became a uh, gold medalist at the junior Olympics in karate, a national champion. He was the valediction speaker at his school. He uh, was on a full academic ride at University of Virginia. We can, we can call you a proud mom. So, um, oh, just a little hi, bit. Hi, high five, mom. 
Thank you. Now, it turns out that what you were feeding your son was a major variable here. How did you figure that out? Absolutely. I became this rabid researcher. I'm a risk manager. I was a risk manager, as you mentioned, for multiple billions of dollars of assets, and I soon became a risk manager for his health. And this was before Google wasn't even around. The internet was just starting um, almost 20 years ago. And so I went to libraries and I interviewed parents. I interviewed anyone I can get a hold of. But the one tipping point, and we hit that tipping point with a mountain of books on my kitchen table, it was food um, allergies and allergy connection with food. And I realized that the standard American diet that I was feeding my son, although it was organic, I was feeding him peanuts every day. We'll talk about the, I called peanut the devil on steroids, you know, master major aflatoxin, which is a mycotoxin on on steroids. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were feeding him uh, wheat, which um, has glyphosates, as we now know, which are so deleterious uh, because of the Roundup that's sprayed Mm -hmm. on the the wheat crops. We were feeding him... um, a lot of citrus and orange juice, which is sugar, which feeds the streptococcus in the candida that was so living in his body because he was given a regular dose of 60 milligrams of prednisone for a three-year-old. So That's a heavy-duty dose for an adult. It, it He was like Spider-Man. We had to pull him off the walls. He was so um, really jacked up. And it's especially you know, 20 years ago, if you told someone what I eat changes how I feel, they would tell you you were stupid and paranoid. When you tell people don't eat this thing, but they love it, there is a boomerang effect that happens. They end up going back to it. And all my coaching, I find this over and over again. The minute you tell an adult no, it backfires and they backfire on themselves. So it's grace. And if you try the gluten and it, it, wreaks havoc on you and you feel, you know, like you're hung over the next day practically or bent over, you're not going to have it anymore. But that's because you made that decision rather than somebody telling you, here's a plan. And I'm telling you not to have this, this, and this. How do you, how do you coach people to, to know how to know how or where to draw the line? You know, I, I really start in the kitchen by teaching them about food and about taste and experiencing the essence of a flavor in the pure sense of a food. So where I start with people is a taste bud reset. You know, you were talking about the penguins and their and their taste buds. Well, we come with a set of taste buds and we don't really exercise them very much, especially here in the US. I think, you know, most people would, you know, if you stick out your tongue, Right on the tip of your tongue is your sweet and your salty taste buds. Well, how about exploring the the sour and the umami and the bitter and then allowing that to lead you to what you end up craving? And I am firmly of the belief when you start to eat food without all of this stuff added on, you explore a different side of what you love. You know, and Michael Pollan, author of The Omnivore's Dilemma and then uh, many books beyond that, said that we were a bunch of walking corn sticks. And I take that (laughs) one step further. I say we're a bunch of walking mold sticks because (laughs) corn effectively translates to mold. And then as you talked about the glyphosate, the glyphosate deleterious on so many levels because one of the other things that it has done to us is that it has inhibited our body's ability to produce the gut bacteria, which breaks down oxalates, which has a tie-in to mycotoxins. 
therefore exacerbating our situation with things, all things mold and mycotoxic. Can you define what amyloids are for people? And then I want you to talk about your system view of mycotoxin stress, amyloids, and just inflammatory foods. But first, what is amyloid? Uh, amyloid is a misfolded protein that actually we have amyloids in our body. And when our body is in balance, it becomes part of our homeostatic mechanism, meaning we try to, those amyloids in check are part of our eating aware inflammatory responses. However, we have now hit a tipping point on a misfolded protein structure coming from our food supply. And the biggest offender of that is, according to studies out of Cambridge and Japan, chicken. I have now deemed chicken the dirty bird. Chicken in its tissue, because of its crowding conditions, carries the highest amyloid count. And Dave, I will tell you, we are so in my practice with all the clinical outcomes. We had a type 1 diabetic. We were able to reduce his insulin by almost 90% and rid his of his um, osteomyelitis within four weeks. He had one meal of chicken and his blood sugar increased by 200 points for four days. But also uh, turkey and pork, they carry these truncated protein structures. What's so interesting about these amyloids is that they're now being linked to contributing to autoimmune disease, to type 1 diabetes, to kidney disease, to Alzheimer's, to Parkinson's. And the dirty little secret is that we now know that the mycotoxins and the biofilm that they produce feed the amyloids. Well, why are amyloids so deleterious? It's because the viruses in our body use the amyloids the, to protect their protein coating. I'm, I'm calling it the ping pong effect. Bio, biofilm from the mycotoxins make amyloids, and guess what? Amyloids feed biofilm. Okay. And so- then the viruses hide inside the biofilm. At the end of the day, I think what's really important is that we focus on the quality of the food that we're getting and that we eat with intention because here's what happens. You were talking about going by a Taco Bell and not even seeing it. You know, it Mm. literally leaves your conscious mind. It's because you have done something now that gives you joy and pleasure. There's nothing worse than having digestive issues. I mean, it, it, it affects everything. It affects your ability to just be a normal human being every day. I mean, I went through 10 years pretty much of a serious brain fog from depriving myself of the nutrients that I needed to function as a normal human being. And consequently, my memory from that time of my life, it's it's gone. I, I really don't remember a lot of things from that time period. And it's excruciating for me to even say that. But Having gone through it, what it's taught me is what feels good for me. It's not what other people dictate. It's yeah. what absolutely is a personal thing. And why would I why would I put myself out there again in that place that was like a desert and and feel horrible when I feel awesome? And shoot, I turned 50 this year and I don't think I've ever felt more vibrant and well balanced in my approach and I you know, I, I think that flexibility, but still focusing on a core system that works where you're, you're exercising your metabolism, you're flexing your taste buds, you're exploring a variety of different 
you know, macronutrients and having fun with food. I want to bring people back into the kitchen and have that, that honest interaction with the product, with what grows from the ground, with, with what comes from the earth and enjoy the art of putting a meal together. It's so satisfying. How do you be plant-based without making nutrient-depleted soil, Terry? That's a really good question, Dave. Well, one of the things we can do is getting back to our smaller gardens, going back to community community gardens, going back to those. Hold on. Don't you have to put animal poop in the soil in your community garden? Well, you know what's really interesting, Dave, is I visited uh, Polyface Farms and the work of Joel Soliton. Yeah. I went to his lunatics tour. Yeah, he's he's <laughs> been on the show a while back. Fantastic. He took a decimated piece of property and created a utopian society for little happy animals, and he did it with their with their poop. Yeah. So and, and so I don't think we can support a plant based diet. I think it's actually environmentally harmful. And there's, there's people are saying, oh, I'm just going to eat plants. <laughs> We're almost out of the nitrogen we mine to feed you those plants. The only yes. way we can get that is by rotating our crops and having yes. animals come through between the crops and crap on the ground. That, you know, that's a really brilliant statement. And what I do know and what I believe has not been proven yet is this methane that they're saying from the hooved animals. Well, we, how is it now that we're producing so much methane when they, they have been on the planet for millennia? My theory is they're eating indigestible food. When we can't digest our food, what do we do? We produce methane. Feed them yeah. what they were intended to eat and the methane, the methane concentrations will go down. They're meant to be herbivores and corn is not not considered to be healthy for them on any level. I think that once you get into a place where you know what feels good for you and you practice it over and over again, what you find is that you don't have to reinvent the wheel all the time. You know, I think, you know, obviously naturally our body craves more food at times because we're more active and it craves less food at other times. But if you were to just take somebody that is just starting down this path and you gave them a set of tools and you said, you know, these are the tools that you need just to be successful right out the gate so you don't sabotage yourself. I think there's a really common denominator here. Um, you know, hydration is so essential. We often disguise hunger as it's actually thirst. And so making sure you're drinking enough clear liquids every day. That's a common denominator. You know, making sure you're eating, if you're going to eat vegetables, choose greens. You know, greens give us the most nutrient-dense bite for our calorie buck. Again, it's not about counting calories, but if you're just going to take like the best things to retrain your palate and nourish you, it's greens as far as the vegetable category goes. You know, what was really interesting, they did a study with mice is that you fed them amyloids, the, uh, the mice became super inflamed, and then they died. Uh, you stopped feeding the, amylo the amyloids to the mice, and the no, amyloids were gone in their little bodies. And so this is, there's so much nutritional beauty in how we can resolve chronic conditions in our country. If we focus on the food, it's the alpha and the omega. I say, if you can do everything else right, you get the food wrong, you're still not going to get it right. So the things that cause amyloids, um, one of them is mycotoxins because these, even at parts per billion level of mold toxins, 
cause tissues in humans and animals to become inflamed, which causes yes. amyloid production. Yes, sir. Okay. And what hasn't been clear until you've really been the, the guiding voice on this, uh, you're saying, okay, now these amyloids are there, what are they doing besides just keeping your tissues from being flexible? Oh, they're making the viral load worse. Indeed, indeed. That's really, we have done so much great work, Dave, on identifying these reactivation of viruses when people have been diagnosed with end-stage cancer or infertility or MS or Hashimoto's, and you look at their viral load, you make them wild, <laughs> you stop feeding the amyloid structures, you lower their mycotoxin um, uh, proportions in their body, you feed them the right fats, depending on their genetic blueprint to see how much fat they can assimilate. And these situations resolve over and over and over again. The body is highly intelligent and wants to be in balance. You know, you can't get it from one category. You have to combine your categories. You have to have that good fat. You have to have those vegetables. You need to have those amino acids. I mean, at the end of the day, they're those essential amino acids are what fuel us and allow us to regulate our hormones and, and flex our metabolisms and build muscle and all of the things that we need to be functioning human beings. And you can get that array of amino acids. It doesn't have to just come from a protein source. It can come from other things too. And you can combine things to get there as well. And the sure sign for most people is after you eat that meal, do you feel hungry an hour later? Do you feel hungry 30 minutes later? And if that's the case, you've got to realize that, you know, we're all in different phases of our lives. You, Dave, need different nutrients than I do. As a female, you know, we have different activity levels. You know, from there, we layer on the good quality, you know, amino acid sources, which are essential. And we need them every day because our body doesn't produce them. Um, we need to make sure that we're getting enough sleep. My goodness, we're not even talking about food, but sleeping well so that we can regulate our hormones and lower cortisol and, and actually keep it all together. So even beyond food and hydration, our lifestyle, how we manage stress, how we breathe. Um, I, I became a student of yoga about 13 years ago, and it was it was a life changer. You know, I was suffering from really high blood pressure. Um, it runs in my family. It's hereditary on my mom's side, but I was like, I'll be damned if this gets to me. You know, I I'm an active person. I eat well. I, I preach this lifestyle, like something's going to give. And when I started doing yoga, everything changed for me because of my breathing practice was, was conscientious. So you know, it's one spoke in the wheel, but it's a, it's an important spoke. What, what do you what do you eat if you're if you don't have access at some restaurant to grass fed meat? What what are your that's choices? It's a, a really good question. So I gravitate towards lamb. I really like lamb. There's a you know in the yep. restaurants you can find some lamb. Love it. Lamb. You know the conjugated linoleic acid. My brain food, baby. I love that stuff. I just go outside and take a bite of the lamb. <laughs> lamb sushi. Wait. <laughs> Lamb on the cob, I like to call it. Lamb on no. the cob. If you have the what I call the least worse options, right? Yeah. So chicken I will never put on my plate anymore. I know too much about it. I haven't had it in two years. Not one stick of chicken. I haven't had it in 10 years. Oh, I don't man. eat you that see, crap. Oh, I love it. I'm going to put you in my next well, book. You can feel a difference. Like, like seriously, you if you go on a, a chicken-free diet for a while, 
and then just go pound some chicken and feel what, just look at your love handles the next morning. It's very obvious. Very obvious. So what I usually try to do is I'll try to go with fish. You know, yeah. fish tends to be generally safer. I won't do black beans, but it, I, I, I'll, if you have a lentil soup, even though it's a little bit got mycotoxin. So as I look at what the hierarchy of needs in is in the, in that food constituent lentils will also afford me some B12, which is really important for my methylation genes. And it'll also uh, give me some good iron and it's got a lot of good fiber. So sometimes we make the least worst choices. Got it. So you'll eat lentils at a restaurant. Um, if you have to, but they're not your first choice. They're not my first choice. Yeah. Usually it's going to be fish or lamb. If you go to a restaurant that's a decent restaurant, you can usually find a piece of fish. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Now, here's the hard question. Will you eat a piece of farm salmon? Wow. Okay. It depends on how hungry I am. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. Here's the hard question. Will you eat a piece of farm salmon? Wow. Okay. It depends on how hungry I am. <laughs> Good answer. I'm the same way. I will eat it if I'm really starving and I've been in a conference for several days and it's I'm still going to get something. And it what it's going to do, what really kicks... My patookas, oxalates, chicken, amyloids, yep. and sulfur. Those those three are my non-negotiables. Well, you just brought something up that um, I think is really important. Is you know we just launched a program called Eat to Thrive, and it is a guided program that helps people navigate through the book in a little bit more detail. And in every section, I encourage people to write down how they feel. It's not just for the sake of, you know, busy work or homework. It's you really don't realize what triggers until you start notating it. You know, I personally, uh, TMI maybe, but like I have a really hard time with eating a lot of cruciferous vegetables. It's okay to not eat those if that's you, right? Totally. And you decide, you know, okay, well maybe... I can have them this way, or maybe I can't really have them. I mean, it's okay. There are a million other choices. It doesn't mean that you throw all of the vegetables out, but you find the ones that fit you and your needs and your digestion. Um, and at the same time, you know, you're making sure your gut health is in order. You know, a big emphasis of this book is getting your gut health, um, gut health in order because, None of this all matters unless your digestion is working properly. You talk about something that's super out there. Uh, and you talk about the relationship between your words and your food. Oh, walk yes. Walk me through walk me through that. Okay. Well, we're beginning to see that the emerging science of vibrational everything, we vibrate 
at certain frequencies. Every thought we think, every word that leaves our mouth has a vibrational frequency. If we have, and this is studies out of University of Pennsylvania and other universities that are showing, and of course the work of Dispenza, Joe Dispenza, who's become an you know, international phenomenon, is that when we entertain thoughts of, I don't want to eat this food, I'm going to eat this and it's going to make me fat, why the heck do I have to cook this meal, I didn't want to cook this meal, you are imparting a low vibration into the thinking, which then has carries an energetic frequency which will then potentially lower the, the nutrient vibrancy of that food. And also when we're mad, upset, the pituitary can't signal for the stomach to make hydrochloric acid. So guess what? We're not going to digest our food that well. And so there's multiple effects that are happening on the body biochemically and energetically. And so we say your words and your thoughts have a direct impact on the bioavailability of the foods that you are eating. And words can be in a way poison to us and thoughts can be poison as well. So, you know, I think you pinpointed that. And I think that's where we all owe it to ourselves to, I call it the language of labelese, you know, really kind of understanding what is in a label when you read it, uh, because oftentimes it does look like a foreign language and you know, then you go out to eat and then you really have no idea what they're putting in it. So starting there and understanding what the additives are out there. And I, you know, I almost had to go to the hospital from an MSG attack at a restaurant that told me that there was no MSG in there. So if you're highly sensitive, really incumbent on you to do the homework and ask the questions. You know, I really, if I can just give a little shout out to sure. my grandfather. My grandfather um, lived to be 93 years old. And he, until maybe four months before he passed away, um, I was living with him in Egypt. And we were walking to the market about half a mile away. And he was carrying, and I'll never forget this image, two huge watermelons, one in each hand, coming back from the market. And I was like, Giddu, Giddu means grandfather in Arabic. Let me carry one of the watermelons for you. That's too heavy. And he said, no, this is my exercise. And I need one in each hand to keep me balanced. <laughs> and, and I will never forget just the vibrant light that he was and how he ate. He knew so much about nutrition. He's the one that really introduced the whole concept to me and keeping fit keeping his brain exercised. And uh, he, he was just the model to me of what a balanced life looks like. And, uh, and, and that is all I could hope for. Coming up on the end of our interview, Terry, your book is called The Wildatarian Diet. Your website is terrycochran.com, T-E-R-I-C-O-C-H-R-A-N-E.com. And thanks for walking us through that very important understanding of how mold in our food and in our environment creates bacterial biofilms that creates amyloids that creates viral load that creates inflammation that starts the cycle again no one has ever elucidated that on the show and it's important so thank you thank you my great pleasure you're welcome great to see you that's it eatcleaner.com we have uh, all of our products and programs and the book and a podcast also for people to listen to called recipes for your best life 
And just, you know, at the end of the day, it is about bringing people together. I always say, hashtag, you know, sharing is caring, but the more we can share good food and, and this kind of wisdom, like what you put into this world. And I have to thank you for that. Thanks, Maria. I appreciate you coming on the show. Keep sharing your work with the world and have yes. a wonderful, wonderful day. Keep doing what you do. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.